Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run, but how to win. I'm Martin Diego Garcia. And I'm Joe Fold. And you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter and at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of How to Win a Campaign. On the last episode, we spoke with Mary Hughes about consultant choices. So if you haven't listened yet, make sure you check it out. And today we're going to be talking about the power of the press. We'll be discussing how to be authentic while staying on message, how to build a strategy to engage the press in order to get coverage of your campaign and hopefully amplify your message. And we're also going to touch on how do you speak with a reporter and effectively structure your earned media strategy. But first, Joe, if a campaign is thinking about engaging with the press, why would they seek out the press as a partner? Well, first of all, it's free. And there is nothing better than free, right? Granted, there's some work involved, but you don't have to pay for coverage. You have to be able to spend time to really think through your message. And rather than early on in your campaign using paid media like digital advertising, direct mail, radio ads, or TV ads, you can gain earned media through the press and frankly gain credibility for your campaign. Once you've invested the time to really establish relationships with reporters, you can seek them out again and again to talk about the things going on in your campaign. Again, it's going to gain credibility. It's going to allow you a place to talk about the issues and the things that matter. It's also going to make sure that you know what the message of your campaign is about, because before you ever talk to a reporter, you're going to have to really make sure you understand what you're talking about and why you're running for office. Absolutely. Your message is going to be key here. And pivoting back to your message is the name of the game when talking to the press. But the other thing is, with the advances in technology, it has really made it much easier for candidates or campaigns to reach larger swaths of folks by utilizing the press and earned media, not only to create buzz and build a narrative around your campaign, but the media has also had a really largely increasing impact on elections these days because it's where folks normally get their day-to-day news or, or their initial understanding of the issue about the ballot measure, about a candidate, about who's running for what. The media has really played an important role there. So it's really, really critical that you include the press in your overall campaign strategy. So, Joe, what do campaigns need to think about when setting up their earned media strategies? Well, the first thing, again, is understanding your message, right? Whether you are starting out putting together a message box, you can find a good example of one on our website at www.thecampaignworkshop.com. Use that Tully message box, whether you're doing polling or just sitting and listening to core constituencies in your area understand what your message is, understand why you're running, and then have a real understanding about the narrative that you want to have for the race. Why should you be running? Why should people vote for you? And you want to make sure that you're able to talk about that in a very clear and open way. I mean, Martine, talk to me about authenticity. Why is that so important? Absolutely right. If you're a group or an organization or a coalition of folks who are building a message that 
isn't authentic to your group or organization, voters and the the public are going to see through that, as is the press, right? The press really like real stories about real people where these groups and organizations have engaged with them in a real and authentic way. Those are the types of stories that are emotionally connective. It's what people remember. But you also want to be strategic about how do you align that and connect that to the core message of the campaign and the objective that you're trying to achieve. So you don't want to pander to these different groups and audiences or or just go to Black press or Latino press and assume that they're just going to listen to you because you're going to talk to them, right? If you haven't done work in those communities, it's going to come off as very inauthentic, right? And so you want to make sure that as you are talking to the press, you are putting out stories that are authentic to you as the candidate, to your group or your organization, to ensure that the people who are hearing it, which are likely the folks you want to vote, are going to resonate with those stories. Yeah. I mean, again, Martinez, you've talked about, there's lots of different types of media. You need to really understand their specific take and hook and what they're looking for. You know, Amy Walter, Cook Political Report, she has a specific type of thing that she's reporting on. She wants to know about the candidates. She wants to know what makes them tick. Why are they running? Why is this organization playing in this race? It's very political. Whereas if you're going to the LGBT press or the Latino press, it may be more specific to that community. Or if you're an LGBT candidate, why you're running in that community, there are very specific things that these reporters are looking for. And before you talk to those reporters, do your homework, whether that's the Washington Post or the local Washington state paper, whatever it is, you want to know what makes that reporter tick. As someone who did press on a lot of races, I would always try and read a few things that the reporter wrote before I ever spoke to them. So I have a sense of their style. It's important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, right? Doing that initial research to build those relationships is really key. With any campaign you're running, relationships are always the key to success. And so doing your research to have a better understanding of who writes on environmental issues, who writes on education, and in what lens do they have on those particular stories so that, as Joe says, you are able to craft a very specific pitch to those folks that's going to make it much more likely for them to pick up your story or want to write about your story because they've known that you've already done their research and you know who their audience is and why your campaign or your issues, your core message connects to those folks. And you're also going to want to think about how do you make sure that the stories that you're pitching are also moving your campaign forward, right? And they're connected to the goals of your campaign. Again, whether you're trying to get folks to volunteer or join your campaign, whether you're trying to educate the community, whatever the goal is you're trying to do, make sure that these stories that you're pitching really feed into that as well. Yeah, that just goes back to the message box of really gaming out your campaign and what you want to talk about when. Martine, I'll tell you some of my favorite examples of this are really being able to use press and press events to tell a narrative about a candidate, right? One of the early races that I ran um, when I was a campaign manager was a state Senate race outside of Buffalo. I was working for a deputy sheriff that was running against a candidate who had run and won a lot of things. And it was a come from behind race special election. And we wanted to set ourselves apart. One of the issues that we thought would be interesting was because this person had taken a lot of money from special interests. We wanted to show how we were different and we were a local deputy sheriff. We were going to make an issue about not taking lunches or gifts from lobbyists. So what we did was we sent a turkey sandwich, a bag of chips, and a can of Coke 
to every news outlet in the district, including talk radio. And we put together a little press release that talked about instead of having lunches with lobbyists, we'd be in our office doing the people's business and drinking our can of Coke and eating our turkey sandwich with a bag of chips. It resonated really well. We got on a bunch of shows. We got a bunch of articles. And it was very authentic to who our candidate was. And when I worked for Albert Wynn in Maryland, I wrote a poem that we sent to the Washington Post that was to the night before Christmas. And it was about all the candidates in the race, but there was one candidate who could win it, W-I-N-N. It was cute. It was in a box on the front page of the Metro section. And Albert Wynn was out there with a Santa Claus hat, like handing out literature. So it can be cute. It could be funny. It can also be a, a way to have the narrative of your candidate come through. Absolutely. I think those are really creative ways in how you thought about what makes sense to this candidate. What are the issues that connect to a story that we can tell, right? Whether it was uh, special interests. And so thinking about those ways, because there is going to likely be a lot of noise depending on what type of election year you're running in. I think for folks who are in the advocacy space, right, you also want to think about how to utilize the tools and the technologies that we have, whether it's list petitions and gathering signatures, whether it's utilizing social media, whether it's getting a roundtable or a rally to go. One of the campaigns that always sticks with me in the variety of the ways in which they utilize their earned media to really put pressure on a really large organizations was a couple of campaigns that happened pushing the boys Scouts to be much more inclusive of the LGBTQ community within their ranks. They had some, I will say, arcane policies that really prohibited a lot of the queer community from partaking in many of the things that the Boy Scouts offer in terms of community whether it was the lesbian den leader who came out and did a stint around sort of talk shows and radio shows talking about how she was really disappointed because when the Boy Scouts found out that she was a lesbian, they barred her from being a den leader and leading her son's troop. There was also a story that they utilized around an Eagle Scout who, because of the way that the policies were written, he wouldn't be allowed to engage as an adult LGBT person with the Boy Scouts because he was openly gay after he turned 18. And so they utilized Change.org and Care2 and did some petition gathering and were able to create these inflection points where then all of a sudden the national mainstream media had then hooked onto that and really amplified what was a really direct campaign on the Boy Scouts to a much larger organizational target, which not only the Boy Scouts did it, but then it pinged a lot of other larger groups and organizations to really think about their policies, their internal policies, the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, as a large entity in this country to look at their inclusivity of the policies they have in their organizations. So get creative. Think about who you're targeting and what's really going to put pressure on them to take action on the change you are trying to achieve. Get ready, because after the break, we're going to be hearing from the amazing Amy Walter about how to work with the press and how to get your message out. And we're back. Amy Walter is the national editor of the Cook Political Report, where she provides weekly analysis on the issues, trends, and events that shape politics. She's also served as the host of Politics with Amy Walter on WNYC's The Takeaway and is a political analyst for the PBS NewsHour. 
Accurate and objective are two words that define Amy's reputation throughout her 20 years of working with campaign insiders and decision makers. Walter was named one of DC's 50 top journalists by Washingtonian Magazine in 2009. As a political journalist, Amy has a unique perspective of how campaigns can successfully communicate with the press. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. This is so fun. Yeah, it's great to chat with you. Yeah. So since this episode is on engaging with the press, can you Mm. share with our listeners some of your experience as a political journalist? Talk to us about how you got into this line of work and what you like about it. Hmm, excellent question. Many of you out there in audio land may have a similar story or maybe you're working through this story right now, but like many people, I came to Washington thinking I was gonna do one thing and then ended up doing many things. (laughs) When I first came to Washington, it was sort of fortuitous. I was interning for a group called the Women's Campaign Fund, which was dedicated, not surprisingly, to trying to get more women into office at every level. And it just happened to be that that year was 1991, where two really big things happened. It was the Clarence Thomas um, Supreme Court nomination. There was some (laughs) of the uh, Anita Hill accused Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment, and her testimony uh, became a focal point, a clarion call, whatever we want to call it, catalyst for women candidates that year who saw a Black woman being interrogated by a group of United States senators, all of whom were men, all of whom were white. And it helped spark what was then a historic number of women running for office. And so I got to sit in the front seats of of history happening. And I thought, well, this is really cool. Gosh, I've only been in Washington for one year and I'm already seeing history made. So maybe I should stick with this. And I ended up working for one of those members elected that year, worked on the Hill, wasn't crazy about working on the Hill. I, I knew I liked politics. I just couldn't quite figure out what it was that I liked about it. And then I was approached by this guy named Charlie Cook, who had started a newsletter which was focused on basically assessing campaigns and candidates. So I started covering the House, and it was at that moment where I realized, oh, no, this is how I want to stay involved in politics. It was all the best of what a campaign can be, which is there's all that adrenaline and all that excitement, but without me having to live in a campaign. (laughs) And I also liked being able to sort of step back a bit. It's sort of the difference, too, between... I don't know, being an athlete where you're on the field versus being the commentator who's watching it all, who's been through this, right? Maybe played that sport at one point or was involved in that sport at some level. So understands the sport, but isn't sitting in the field in the middle of it and isn't cheering for one side to win or the other. I did that for quite some time. And then I moved over and was the editor at the hotline, which was a daily political tip sheet, went over to ABC News and served as their political director, and then came back to work for the Cook Political Report, where I am now. Wow. So that's a, that's a summary of a life in politics in D.C. Right. I, you know, I right. came to D.C. as a college student, then became a campaign manager and went out on the road and eventually became a consultant after realizing that I just couldn't live on the road anymore. 
Again, you have to kind of know yourself, right? There are some people who really thrive on that and thrive on this idea that, you know, you have a really finite amount of time to do something. It's like you, the campaign ends, period. It's not one of those projects that can go on and on and on and on. It's like, okay, I know I'm here for this many months or this many weeks. And when it's done, I'm done. And I know some people really, to them, that's a, a, like a comfort. For me, it was more like, okay, now what am I going to do when this is over? <laughs> right. but there's no job that's waiting for you on the other end. So talk to me just quickly. At first, making that transition from being someone who was working in politics to being a reporter, what was that transition like for you? And mm. was that easy? Was that hard? You talk a little bit about the benefits of being a reporter, but did you miss being on the political side? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I sound like such an old person now when I say things like this, but kids these days don't know what it's like. But if you look at some of the best political reporters of a certain era, so I'm thinking about like 80s, 90s, when I was coming up, there were two types. There were the types of folks who they had started at a local paper and, you know, became a standout at that local paper and then either made it to Washington because that was sort of the, the pinnacle or you stayed in that place, but you were known as the person who knows Ohio politics better than anybody else or knows Pennsylvania politics, whatever it was. The other model, there are folks who worked in politics and then made a transition. There's something really I think, important about understanding politics because you worked in it, not just by, uh, you know, observing it or reading about it. The problem now, as I see it, is, you know, now that is frowned upon, right? You can't go from politics to journalism because you will be biased, right? If you've worked for a Democratic member and then come into journalism, no Republicans trust you. If you were working for a Republican and then come into journalism, no Democrats are going to trust you. So you can't really make that transition in the way those folks were able to do it. And so most of the political reporters now got their start, not in local politics, not covering city council, not being like in the nitty gritty moment to moment of the campaigns, but got started in Washington. And so all they know really is politics from a much more cynical and process-driven coverage of politics versus the kind of coverage you get when you actually know the people you're covering, right? If you were that local reporter, you, you literally lived in the same community as people who are running. And so there was a connection there. If you had worked in politics, you understood what it's like to be in and on a campaign. Yep. But mostly you understood the human factor in it. And that's what I've always loved about it, right? It's like, you know, these are just regular people who get up one day and decide that they can make a difference. And I've always been really drawn to that, whether I agree <laughs> that they should run or sure. shouldn't run or whatever it is, the fact that they decided to do it to me is the most impressive. So I think in some ways, I didn't find the transition all that hard. I think the hardest part right now is that the campaign, as I knew it back 126 years ago, when I first started doing this, and the campaigns that exist now are just so different, right? I mean, we barely had the internet. And so I think about 
all the technology and all the change that has happened. And I don't get to see that as up close because honestly, no one is going to show me that, right? I mean, it's all proprietary and I, you know, they're not going to invite me into a campaign in the same way as if I weren't covering it. So just that piece is, if you say, oh, what do you miss about being in there? It would be being able to get in on the inside of a campaign, just to see how just the fundamentals work now. Something that you talked about in your answer is those unguarded, and I would say authentic moments that actually I think is what a reporter is looking for to be able to tell the story. Sometimes campaigns are good at showing that and sometimes they're not. Mm. And why is that authenticity, I think, with candidates so important? You know, we at the Cook Political Report, we interview as many candidates as we can. If you're a first time candidate and and you're making the rounds and you're talking to 6,000 different reporters and you're talking to donors and you're talking to all these folks and you feel like the first question you always have to answer is, how are you going to win? Where I come from, my first question is, well, who who are you? Where, where did you grow up? And this is what voters want to see, too. Like the story of you is not just that it's authentic or interesting or whatever, but it, it does help to make a connection with regular people, right? That I think what gets candidates worried about quote unquote authenticity is this idea that people aren't going to take them seriously. You know, oh, why, why would you want to know about my high school? Why would you want to know about what my parents did? I, I, I'm here to talk about education reform. I'm, I'm here to talk about the big issues, things that matter, things that are, you know, going to define the country. But I don't ask those, as I said, as a way to, to sort of distract from or to minimize the job that they're running for. In fact, I think it's it's more important than ever for people to see sort of the humanity behind the people. Some people are better at it than others. Some people are just have a natural ability to connect with folks. You need to make the case for yourself, but the case that you make is one that is going to connect with the kinds of people in your district. One of my favorite stories, I remember interviewing this candidate from South Dakota, you know, asking her about like what it was like growing up in South Dakota. And she told me that she raised pheasants. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then what'd you do with them? She said, oh, well, then I would sell them to the preserve. And I was like, oh, well, isn't that adorable? Like you raised birds and then you sold them and then they lived their lives out on this preserve. And she's like, oh yeah, no, no. They they hunt them at the preserve. And I was like, oh, so yeah, raise the birds and then the people would go shoot them. She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like one of those things where you realize, oh, right, I've never been to South Dakota. And and especially when, you know, the, the knock against her was she went to Georgetown She'd been working as an attorney in D.C., right? She's not really South Dakota. But when she told that story, you could see how they were going to build the story of who she was and how she connected back. When it's not authentic, Joe, when you said, well, what's not authentic? It's when you're kind of trying too hard to do that. Again, you don't have to say, right, I am so authentic that, I don't know, whatever it was, like having a story that you think is so powerful, it doesn't need to be a deathbed confessional from a close family (laughs) member or something. You know, this is why I loved interviewing candidates for the house, because, you know, if you travel enough around the country, you meet these folks and you're like, Oh, I can totally see this person 
in this district. Or, gosh, that doesn't seem to be the kind of candidate that fits in a fill-in-the-blank kind of district. They're trying to make themselves that person, but it's really clear that they're not. So as a practitioner, right, I think about message and I think about narrative. And I think about the narrative is that story, right? Your story. And I think about the message as being, you know, that very traditional campaign message box. And I always like to think about how do those two things intersect Mm. and how can your story highlight the issues about why you are running and what you're going to do once you get there. Amy, when you were doing the interviews at Cook Political Report and you were interviewing House candidates, just a guess, and I'm not going to hold you to it, but how many candidates would you interview in a year with all the like primaries and everything? Right. What would that number be? Uh, let's say that it would be like 60 to 80. Uh-huh. It could be more. Right. So you're doing at least 60 to 80 interviews, and then there's other people on the team that are doing more. Right. When someone comes in front of you, right, you've talked to 80 people who are running for <laughs> office. What does a campaign need to do to prepare for someone that has interviewed 80 other candidates? You know what you're going to say, you're ready. What advice would you give them to be ready for when they're interviewing, whether it's a reporter that is like the overworked local reporter because there are so few local reporters right. and they're talking to literally hundreds of candidates or you know they go to DC and they're talking to someone who is sort of an insider and interviewing lots of candidates? What should they be ready for? The very first thing is why you're running. And again, that sounds so silly to have to even say that. But sometimes I'll ask that and it will be like, well, it's a great opportunity. It's an open seat. And you're like, mm, OK, that's what you're going to tell people. That's what voters <laughs> they are going to say. It was a great opportunity for you. So know why it is you're running. As you said, have a story to tell. I think people get worried that if they don't have this great story about like, I have a child who did this, and so then I got involved in X, and that's why I need to run for Congress, because we know many of these members of Congress who have these incredibly powerful, many of them tragic stories that led them to where they are. But help us understand how you made the decision. Then have an understanding of your district and who you're trying to represent. If it's all weeds and no sort of narrative, that how can you tell the the story of who you are and and why you want to be there? I could ask them, you're a state senator, you're running for Congress now. How much of your state senate district is in the congressional district? And how well did you do in that part, right, that is in the congressional district? Those are the things that somebody like me is going to want to know. And that's the why are you going to win piece. If you can say, how can a Democrat or how can a Republican win in a district that Joe Biden carried by 10, that Donald Trump carried by five, right? Mm -hmm. Have a really good answer for that. How can you really win this race? You, I'm sure, counsel your clients all the time to do their own research. But in the era of Google, it's easier than ever to find stuff out about people. (laughs) So assume that we know those things and don't blow them off if I say, gosh, well, what about that thing in 2014 where you were fined by the ethics board? Know that you're going to get asked about it and have an answer for it. Just assume that we will have been looking through all of that information before you get there. 
Sure. Right. But, but I mean, let's say like they've got 20 minutes with you, right. probably three to maybe seven, but certainly less than 10 is about the info, the district viability. And then more of that 20 minutes is about the story and the connection. It's the story and the connection. And then the thing to always remember about politics, you're always looking for the What are the stress points? The stress points being where are the issues where you, candidate, are going to differ from your party? You know, you were a county commissioner during XYZ. How did that inform the way you think about working on this issue in Washington? Then you can say, if you say to me really definitively, Joe, like, look, right, you're prepared for this question I'm going to ask you, Joe, you know, you were arrested 14 times. <laughs> How are you going to run for Congress? Whatever it is. But you know, if you say to me, you you have an answer for that, that doesn't always mean that we think the answer is like going to be effective, but the more effective you make your case based on what you know people think of as your weaknesses, right? Just coming right out and addressing that, right? Oh, well, they've never elected a woman here. Well, are you sure you can win in a district that looks like this? The more you can show that you've been thinking through that and understand that, I think the better you come across. It's so interesting to me, and I'd love to hear your take on this, but it's so interesting to me that often what I find is that people who are in politics sometimes don't understand that there can be good and bad conflict, and, (laughs) and people are shying away from the good conflict. Right. Right. And you're in politics. By definition, there will be conflict in politics. (laughs) Right. 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 Like, I appreciate you want to have bipartisan cooperation, but where are the places that you're like, I won't go there? And also where are the places that you will say to your own party? Nope, that's not going to happen with me because you are going to be confronted with those things. And that's what voters want to understand as well. It's not just political reporters, but voters want to know that, too. For sure. So, all right. So one question that I'm sure you've gotten before, but I want to ask again is if you're a campaign starting out, what are ways to build a relationship with reporters and how do you prevent that from being disingenuous? It seems really um, lame to say this, but it's as simple as, you know, calling up your local paper or TV station or whatever and invite them to lunch and just have a conversation. Wanted to introduce myself. Here's who I am. Your job isn't to badger them, convince them, whatever about how this race is going to be, but just to let them know, here's who I am. When you're talking about building and talking and having those relationships, it's like, no, your job isn't to go and you don't have to tell the reporter everything on earth or be their best friend. It's not at all your job, but your job really is to respond to it. Now, you can respond to a reporter's calls by saying, we don't have a comment on that. But the idea of not engaging at all, I just think it's not helpful. And, you know, there's nothing that a reporter likes more than the idea that they're being lied to or duped and then getting to the bottom of it. All you're doing is encouraging more scrutiny. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen is campaigns go out and talk to reporters without having a clear understanding Mm. of who they are and what they're saying. 
such a good point. And I remember saying this about, I can't remember which candidate this was, but they were never off message because like the candidate was the message, right? Like it, it was so clear about the candidate portrayed this sort of every day, right? Like this is who I am. These are the values. You know, when people talk about going off message, <laughs> what that means, it's that shows that like, well, where's the authentic part of you? Going back to our previous conversation, right? How do you show your authenticity? If you're really clear, as you said, about who you are and what you are, then there is no off message because your candidate is is also leading the way on that in their response to even things that are unexpected. That's the other question is, what do you do when there's something really unexpected that happens, which will in a campaign, something good or something bad? Usually it's something out of your control or something that happens in Washington. How are you gonna respond to it? And, and again, if you know who you are as a candidate and your team is very clear about, these are our values, this is what the candidate stands for, it's not as hard as people sometimes make it out to be, right? Absolutely. So that was great. First of all, it was just so cool to chat with Amy Walter. I've known her for a really long time, and it's great to hear her perspective on things. And the first thing that comes to mind is reporters are real people. Treat them as real people. Have a conversation, engage with them. Don't be afraid of them. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't prepare, understand what your message is, right? And you want to really understand that they are not your best friend either. You want to make sure you have a real understanding of what is on and off the record. Usually there's no such thing as off the record. You want to be very clear what you want to talk about. It, to me, is really great to hear the perspective of reporters and how they get their stories and what they're trying to do. And frankly, you have to understand that these reporters have a job to do and you want to give them a good, clear message and good, clear information so they have something to report on. Absolutely. And I think that goes to what we've been sort of beating the drum on. Do your research. It's really important for you to understand who are the reporters in your area? Who are the folks who are tweeting about it or writing about it? Having a talk show radio show about it, having a podcast about it, right? Learn who those folks are and start building a relationship with them so that when it is time for you to pitch the story, it isn't the first time they've heard about you or your campaign and you have an understanding of what are the types of stories they're telling? Who is the audience that listens to this? Why does it make sense for them to report on your particular story and the pitch that you're trying to offer to them? And what I'll say is the campaign should feed off itself. There's different parts of the campaign where maybe at the beginning you're not really spending money on paid media. And so you really need that earned media at the beginning to create some credibility. But as you're running digital ads or direct mail or TV ads, you then also want to integrate the earned media with that paid media. You want to make sure you're sending out releases, you're sharing stories about your stakeholders, doing user-generated content that you're opening up for interviews with the press to give the press a chance to talk to people that you're putting into ads. All of those things can really help to amplify your message. Again, it takes time, it takes planning, shouldn't be done on the fly. But as you're doing these different pieces of the campaign, you want to make sure that earned media is a core part of it. Definitely. And to go back 
to most of the things that you're doing, understand the goals that you are trying to achieve with your earned media strategy. And how does it filter in and amplify your core message? And how does it fit into the goals of your campaign? Are you putting pressure on legislators and you really want to think about what tools and tactics can you utilize? What particular press outlets can you utilize to put pressure on folks who are casting a consequential decision on your policy or your legislation? Or are you running a community outreach campaign, right? And a community education campaign, and you're just really trying to get folks to understand the different facets within the issue that you're talking about and how it impacts their day-to-day lives. Understanding those goals are really going to help you craft a much better and a much more strategic and efficient earned media strategy, because then you'll be targeting the right reporters at the right time, whose audiences are the right folks you're trying to talk to. And as you heard in our stories, get creative. There has been a lot of advancement in technology to help you amplify your message and really build your own narrative that creates these inflection points or these events. There are reporters who may not have shown an interest in your campaign prior. That may be a way to to hook them in, to bring them in, to have them start really paying attention to your campaign. We have a hundreds tools list on our website at thecampaignworkshop.com that you should totally check out. Joe, any recommendations for the tools on that list that folks could potentially use? Well, I mean, a few, right? We have great tools around user-generated content that will allow you to get stakeholders, figure out who they are, have them record messages, and then you could share that with reporters and figure out who could be doing interviews and be spokespeople for your campaign. You could also find these reporters by using a tool like Sisson or Meltwater to really be able to identify who are the right reporters that might cover your issue or cover your campaign in this community. There are just a few, but again, there's over a hundred tools on this list, so go check it out. Definitely. We really want to hear from you all, our listeners. Uh, but on our next episode, we're going to be talking about legal compliance and education law, and you're going to get to nerd out with me and Joe Sandler, our special guest Woo! for that episode. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Joe Fold. And Martin Diego Garcia, breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Carrie Yanata, Gabriella Zwaffler, and Hope Ledford. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.